Hey everybody, this is Greg, and before we get started with the podcast, I want to give a quick shout out to two of our sponsors. The first is a company that is very close to my heart, Dominar Studios. They're the makers of the Cloud Agent Suite. Their flagship product, Cloud CMA, is used by over 500,000 real estate professionals all across the country, and their customers have published over 15 million Cloud CMA reports. Also check out CloudMLX, their front-end-of-choice solution, which won Inman News' Most Innovative Technology Award and has crossed over 200,000 MLS members under site license. You can find out more at cloudagentsuite.com. Also, I'm excited to announce the Notorious VIP, a premium subscription service from Rob Hahn, also known as the Notorious ROB. Membership gives you subscriber-only content, both written and recorded, that is unavailable anywhere else. The difference between the Notorious ROB blog and the Notorious VIP is that VIP focuses on research and analysis, while the ROB blog focuses on commentary and op-ed. Notorious VIP is for those in organized real estate that want to go a few layers deeper. Please visit Notorious-ROB.com to find out more. I'll put a link to both sponsors in the show notes. Also, if any of our listeners are interested in sponsoring the Industry Relations Podcast, please drop me a line at gregrobertson at gmail.com. Hey, thanks for listening. And now, on with the show. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Industry Relations with Rob and Greg. Uh, this is your co-host, the notorious Rob Han. And on the other line, I should have with my co-host with me. Greg, are you there? Hola, Rob. <laughs> I could tell you're about to do some sort of like woman voice. <laughs> A woman voice now? Yeah, you did that last I wasn't couple quite, I was. I wasn't quite – I had something in mind, but it didn't flesh out in the, in okay. the manner. Because, I mean, you know, you normally have that deep, you know, manly voice. Oh, <laughs> it's a quiet storm. That's right. How, how are you, man? How's, how's California? It's good. You know, I think uh, my home city here is uh, – my hometown is getting a kind of a black eye for uh, – just there's been a lot of YouTube videos about like the anti um, anti COVID anti maskers here, and it's uh, ah, it's just it's a little bit like disturbing, ah. but um, we'll see what happens here. <laughs> you know, you you and I really could like get into a whole debate about the whole. Oh yeah, thing, oh, no, I don't think want to do that no. <laughs> you know, on the industry relations podcast. <laughs> We'd probably be better off talking about like the car buying experience in 2020. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's funny. I saw your post. You, you, you bought a Raptor, right? I did. Yeah. I did. And, uh, and like I, my, the last car I bought, which is a little bit less than a year ago, I yeah. bought a, uh, a classic VW, a, a VW uh, Bug. It's a 60, nice. 62. Nice. And I thought, you know, that could be the – the new podcast image for industry relations is the the front grill of your Raptor, your <laughs> big ass Ford truck, and and like my, my little beep beep, you know, <laughs> BW bug. That'd be awesome. <laughs> I think that just that tells the story right there, buddy. Yeah, you know, it's kind of amusing. Is like that car, that truck is just way too cool for me, you know. And everyone's like, oh, my God, it was inevitable. It's so cool. I'm like, the reason why I bought it is because it has the highest resale value of any car other than a Porsche that I've looked at. Hmm. <laughs> so I'm like, I did it because it's a smart financial decision. But, you know, everyone's like, oh, you're just – I'm like, yeah, I guess. <laughs> I'm going to have to own it. I'm, I'm too, cool for, too cool for school now. Yeah. <laughs> 
I love the eight miles a gallon I'm getting though. Holy shit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you were asking for names on it and I was going to say planet killer. <laughs> <laughs> hey man, we, we need, we need more warmth in the Northeast. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> anyway, so we got some stuff going on. Yeah. No, we don't. Actually, we don't actually have anything going on. <laughs> well, you know, it is interesting you say that, and I, I immediately said, "Yeah, there, there is." But really, I, I was, you know, I as prep for this, it's like it's been like a very quiet news kind of cycle, right? Yeah. But um, I did get a chance to kind of read your latest blog post, which was you called it two steps forward, one step back." The the story of innovation in real estate, and yep. um. I really liked it, and it's something I think about a lot because, you know, You're an innovator, yeah, yeah, well, you are an innovator, yeah. Having you know co-founded my first real estate software company in 1992, so you know pre-internet, yeah, and then seeing all the all the different companies come and go, your post reminded me of those, you know, what do they call them, the five stages of grief, and this would yeah. this could really kind of <laughs> fall into like you know these disruptors, quote unquote, of you know. Which are the five stages being denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and then finally acceptance, right? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and I'll, I'll kind of like just sum it up here, but we can go deeper in here and you can correct me if I'm wrong. But you look at it and you see that a lot of these disruptors that get in the space, it ends up that they end up, you know, having to kind of work themselves into the existing model and you're arguing is that because we've been using this model for so long it's kind of perfected or mm-hmm. is it because of some other outside factors but i'll let you kind of like yeah no i think that's a really you know and here's the thing like i've taken a position in my post so you know anyone who's listening who hasn't read it yet you know the way i look at it is you're right i mean, it it feels like all these disruptors come, all these people, all these companies emerge saying we're going to completely change everything, you know, paradigm shift and all this stuff. And then within a few years, they all kind of start to become more and more like traditional real estate, right? You know, whether it's they have to start working with agents, they have to start moving more towards uh, like the independent contractor model or, or whatever, right? Or in the case that I was talking about, if your open door offer pad you just become a brokerage, right? <laughs> I know right. they probably don't want to classify that way, but I, to me, they're they're a brokerage now, like traditional, you know, no, not real different. Or if you're not, you stop being a brokerage and you just become a mortgage broker or mortgage lender or something. You know, so I think there are two ways of thinking about it. One is, because it is entirely possible that the reason why disruptors have so much trouble is because for all intents and purposes, we have pretty much perfected real estate. You know, it's, I mean, there's always room for improvement, but I think the idea is, you know, this is something that kind of organically grew over hundreds of years. And the system that we have in the United States, and I guess Canada to some extent, is is kind of the best possible, you know, way of buying and selling houses, right? So that's possible, you know? So if if real estate's been perfected, then... Yeah, you could try and disrupt it, but it's trying to disrupt, you know, like eating or something. You know what I mean? Like it's it's fundamental. There's such inertia around that model or, or yeah. the way we've been doing it, right? Well, it's hard to kind of stop that. But that's the part too. In other words, if it's I don't I, what I'm saying is either either that we have essentially arrived at the best way, right, to buy and sell something as expensive and as important as a house, 
because it has to do with human nature. Any sort of like improvement, any sort of innovation is going to be kind of on the edges. It'll be small improvements, but it's not going to be disruptive. Or the other idea is there's this huge inertia that's built up. So anybody that wants to come in and disrupt mm-hmm. things needs to have like all the ducks, right? And the most important being you need to have an enormous amount of cash, right? Because otherwise you're going to run out of money before you can disrupt you know, uh, an industry with so much inertia. I think that's the two ways of thinking about it. In the post, I've kind of taken the position that it's the latter, but I'm completely open to the idea that, you know what, market forces and human nature are what they are. And what we have today is more or less the result of, you know, decades of evolution, decades of people just, you know, behaving like normal people. And this is what we have, right? So I'm open to that idea. So that's the two kind of paths. Yeah, so I, I, I mean, I'll ask you, what do you think? Which, which do you think is, it's more? Yeah. So the, the two things being inertia or it's just the, or the model. Is that, your, that Those right. are the two things? Yeah. Yeah. I can, maybe I'll just like cop out here and say a little bit of both. Right? <laughs> it I mean, probably it, is a little bit of it, both. It, yeah. yeah. It, it's funny because I was just, as we're, as you're talking and again, I, you read this all the time. There's so many kind of haters of the disruptors, quote unquote, that come in. Yeah. You know, even the Zillow hate is still strong, which oh, is still bizarre strong. to me. But yeah. as we're talking, I, I just went on to NAR site, and as I said, I you know I started my first or co-founded my first software company in real estate in '92. Yeah, NAR's membership in in 1992 was 743,000. Okay. Yeah. Last year. NAR was uh, NAR's membership was 1.4 million. Okay, yeah. so so this is you're talking about different brokerages. You're talking about the rise of Zillow. You're talking about Trulia. You're talking about Open Door. All these different things, and some of those are you know Zillow was launched in 2006, I think. Yeah, but agents are uh, they're all out to replace us. Well, you've more than doubled. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, so it's hard to say. You know, looking at that, just looking at it from the the membership count, for anybody to say that disrupt that anything has been disrupted at all, right? Yeah. And and as I said, it's like to me, you see these guys come in here, right? A lot of these companies, and I think Zillow started off. I think the very initial initial concept was like almost an auction thing, right? Then it got to like, okay, maybe they're going to be a media site advertising on this estimate. Mm-hmm. You know, so the first stage is like denial, right? You know, it's it's like, well, no, we we don't need agents. This is we'll put up our own prices and we'll do mm-hmm. this and that, right? Then they got mad, like, oh, these the data. We want to put more data up here, but you know, the the damn MLSs won't let us have it, right? No, right. no, no. And then it's the bargaining, mm-hmm. right? Well, what if we somehow? How can we do this with you know whatever you know bargaining with the with agents with and MLSs, yeah. right? The yeah. industry, right? And then it's depression. It's like, holy shit. I mean, how the hell? <laughs> this is a pain in the ass. Yeah. And then it's like, fuck it, acceptance. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. We're gonna base our we're gonna base our entire business model off of selling to agents. That's right. <laughs> right. That's right. And then you know you've seen this time and time again. You know, Open Door, right? They've they've mm-hmm. kind of they're doing a, doing a big shift back to kind of having an agent model, right? You Our see, yeah. um, just everybody at the end of the day somehow has a program that they start working with brokers and agents. It it just never never fails, right? Right? Yeah, it's, right. It's very, so the very question is: Is it because the brokers and agents and MLS association cooperation compensation the model that we've built in the United States? 
that this is the perfected business model for buying and selling very expensive, <laughs> very important things like homes. Yeah, I, I really yeah. think that there's such an infrastructure set up and it's so hard to break in with the the mortgage companies having a relationship with the realtors, the realtors having a relationship with the clients and they mm-hmm. and they have the referrals. All that's so old and, and, and baked in. It's hard mm-hmm. for somebody to come in and like somehow disrupt all that, right? Yeah. So it's, you know, if it's not inertia, it's just basically set in concrete, <laughs> Right. 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 Yeah. But so, so let's. You can make you can make portions of that more efficient. Like obviously, the real estate portals have made looking for houses more efficient. Right. Right. But when it gets down to the nitty gritty, right? When the rubber meets the road, when you want to tap into that, what is it? One point three trillion or three point one trillion, whatever it is, Mm -hmm. of, of the the money being generated in real estate, which is all on the mortgage side. That's that's pretty entrenched, right? So, yeah. yeah. So let's actually tackle this from a you know a different, slightly different perspective because you know maybe it'll help by us taking us ourselves out of our industry, right? Mm-hmm. And it's interesting because we were started this podcast talking about it. Cars, the way that we buy and sell cars again really hasn't changed, right? Even though we have the internet, right? <laughs> We have, you know, Car- uh, CarMax and Carvana. We have all these companies that are trying to- Craigslist, uh, Auto Trader, yeah. Auto Trader, yeah, we have Tesla, right? But by and large, the way that we buy and sell, you know, cars is still pretty much the same way that like our parents bought and sold cars, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I can only say, I mean, the, the, last, I so- the last car I sold was through CarMax. Right. Because I just didn't want to deal with the freaking, you know- Right. But what I mean is, 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 so the CarMax experience, selling to CarMax, is that really substantially different than going to a broker, uh, to, to a dealer and trading it in? Yeah. It's been so long since I've done that. I couldn't, I couldn't answer that. Yeah, it feels like it's not that different, right? So w- w- I guess if you look at it that way, that's another industry that's deeply entrenched where you've got you know, cert- only a certain number of manufacturers. And you have laws, you know, that kind of surround all of that. Remember the whole thing with Tesla, when Tesla wanted to try and open, you know, start trying to sell cars direct to people over the internet, you know, a lot of states said you can't do that because you need yeah. to be a licensed dealer. Right? Yeah. They were trying to protect the entrenched dealership networks. And you could say that's evil, you could say whatever, but it's like, look, you know, to a certain extent, those governments are trying to protect jobs, right? Because those dealerships employ a lot of people. So... You know, you could look at it and say, yeah, you could try and come in and disrupt the car industry. But what's what's the amount of disruption that's really happened? I mean, we have some, again, we have some improvements. Don't get me wrong. I mean, things like, you know, the internet, right? Um, right. Price and, comparisons. And yeah. You know, whatnot, this, right. this is very common. And I think we were hearing both very similar things in the auto industry as well as in the real estate industry where auto industry, the big thing now is there's no point in negotiating. Right, because the customer walks in through the door with a stack of research showing, you know, right, right, with model, uh, with these options, you should sell for this. This is your invoice. This is, you know, all of that stuff. So dealers have started hiding, you know, their profits like all over the place, right? Uh, but then, you know, again, you go on YouTube, you find like three hundred videos that tell you, like, here are all the hidden fees that dealers will charge you, and all this stuff. Same similar thing with real estate, right? 
you know, I've been doing this research project for the last three months. And one of the uh, interviews I had, it's really just echoed. I was interviewing a top agent, you know, like literally that like half of 1% people. And one of the things he pointed out was something that we've heard for years, which is, you know, a customer now walks in, right, saying, here are four houses that I, f- I saw on the internet and I want to go see these, right? Where it used to be, customer walks in, so I'm looking to buy a house. What, what's, on, what's on the market? Right. So he talked about the information, you know, being like totally, totally changed now. Similar thing with car dealers. And yet, with all that, we still have, you know, thousands of car dealerships. And I don't know, like I went and bought my, my Raptor, you know, from a Ford dealership, right? It was a pretty decent experience. Sure. I mean, it was different in that, you know, I didn't go in, look at what's on this lot. You know, it's more like I looked on the internet, you know, saw what he had, did most of the negotiation, did the price discovery, did a lot of that stuff online. But ultimately I went, met with a, a salesperson, you know, signed the papers and drove off. Like, it hasn't really changed that much. So, and in, 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 I mean, you're a, more of a tech savvy consumer than most. Right. When did you make the choice to like, is it that you couldn't find a site or an app that you liked for that? Or was it just you were doing your own research, but really wanted to go belly to belly when actually negotiating or go or see the physical car itself? I mean, what 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 stopped, what prevented you from using one of these newfangled services? So, and this is one of the interesting things. The only reason why I didn't use one of the newfangled services is because they didn't have the car. In other words, I was I don't buy new cars, right? Because I think mm-hmm. just a personal thing. Yeah. Like, I'm like, I don't want to pay for depreciation, right? So I'd rather, you know, buy a used car. Right. In just about all cases. So the particular, the Raptor is not exactly a common used vehicle. So, you know, the CarMaxes and the Carvanas, they don't, they don't actually don't have what I, what I wanted, right? So... You know, in that, it's it's a little bit like houses too, right? Yeah, 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 for sure. You know, because house, obviously houses are not commodities. They are unique. So to the extent that I wanted a certain, you know, year model, you know, certain packages of, of uh, you know, options and upgrades and whatever, it came down to who, who actually has this vehicle. Interesting point. Uh, there are roughly 86 Ford Raptors post-2017 available for sale right now in the United States. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> 85 now, I guess, because I bought one. Huh. That's not a lot, right? In that case, so the, the interesting thing is, it's not like I went to the dealership because I wanted to go through the negotiation in person or anything like that. I did most of the negotiation. It was an inventory thing for online. you. It was an inventory thing, number one. And the only yeah. reason I went to the dealership was because they were within driving distance. Because I was looking at Raptors from like Philadelphia and Wisconsin, like Florida, you know? Right. You know, in fact, I had a deal that fell apart and it was it was a truck that was in Tampa. So I would have had them ship it to me, right? So in that case, I, I literally would have bought a, you know, very expensive truck sight unseen, never having test driven it. Right. right. So I think I'm about as tech forward or about as risk taking as car buyers come, in my opinion. Because most people aren't going to do that. Most people are going to want to go in, e- even with a used car. They're going to want to go in. They're going to want to test drive that vehicle. They're going to want to have a mechanic look at it. You know, all of those things, right. right? And then, you know, they'll do the negotiation, haggling, and then they'll drive away. So I guess you know to relate this back to kind of our thing, 
The question then is for us, because we're not in the car industry, we don't know Jack Diddley about it, at least I don't, right? We don't really know very much about it. Do we think that the way that we buy and sell cars has been perfected? Do we think that that is actually the best possible way with some, you know, small minor, you know, changes at the, at the margins to buy and sell cars? Yeah, it has not. And I don't think, I don't think as far as that hasn't been perfected. Yeah. Like I said, there's a lot of newfangled models that, that, you know, when you see the commercials, you think, oh, mm-hmm. that's smart. Right. Yeah. But, you know, there, but I, I will tell you every time you see one of those things, maybe it's because of the books and the culture of cars and, and just, you know, the image of a used car salesman, the image mm-hmm. of a dealership, all this stuff kind of plays and fucks with your head where you're like, yeah, but I don't, I don't know. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's, it's just, and that's maybe that, 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 t- I mean, like, so you were going to like buy a used car from somewhere without seeing it, without driving, without having any mechanic check it and right. have it shipped to you. Yeah. Right. Which is, you know, in a sense, an equivalent of buying a home without ever going to see it. In a that's sense. right. That's I mean, right. It's not I, that, I that big of a deal. Agent to walk through it, show me a yeah. 3D tour, right? And then yeah. I'll buy it. Yeah. 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 That's a little bit more interesting to me in the whole thing. But uh, but yeah, no. Do I think it's perfected? No. I mean, wouldn't everybody just want to know, give me, give me, give it to me for a fair price? But I guess, right. you know, you could say that about really any industry, right? I mean- right. And then here's the thing. So there's all these, all these uh, quote disruptors, all these companies out there that are doing that no haggle price right? with cars. The problem is, I don't know if I could trust it. So I yeah. use, one of the sites that I use the most in my search is, uh, is TrueCar because it turned out because they actually had some of the best user interfaces for me. Mm-hmm. But one of the things that TrueCar talks about is request a TrueCar offer. And the idea is that TrueCar, you know, using algorithms and sales data and so on and so forth can tell you whether this offer from the dealer is a fair offer, you know, is a great offer. Do you know what I mean? Like, and it'll even say like the average sale price for this type of vehicle is whatever, 50000 So this offer from the dealer is $1,000 below, you know, it's expensive, you know, like it, they'll, they'll do stuff like that. The problem yeah. as a consumer, what I found was... I didn't know if I could trust TrueCar. Do you know what I'm right, saying? Right, right, for sure. Because you know, one of the things that you learn as you start researching this stuff is Kelly Blue Book is actually owned by like a used car <laughs> network. So you can't necessarily trust Kelly Blue Book numbers. So it's yeah. one of those weird things. And as a result, the experience is not what you what you imagine. I mean, I'm sure the TrueCar people, I'm sure the other no haggle price people are thinking, hey, how wonderful experience would it be, right? If we could be totally transparent, you know, because the consumer understands that the dealer has to make a fair profit, otherwise they can't stay in business, you know? Right. And, you know, you go in and you talk to the, the salespeople and do all that and they say, look, you know, we're making like 500 bucks on this car. So you have to choose to either believe that person or feel like you're a used car salesman. You're totally lying through your teeth to me. Right? right. Okay. So let me let me ask you a question. Yeah. Do you remember the name of your sales associate at when you bought from the who you bought the Raptor from? Oh, uh, God. I think it's Trent. Trent. So you do remember his name? Well, it was only like three days ago. So yeah. <laughs> right. But still, Do I remember I mean, it a month. Probably not. 
Right. However, here's the difference. How, how, how was the experience? I mean, just overall, how was that experience working with Trent? It was great. It was actually yeah. really great. See, was that, a- see, yeah. It is. I mean, it does. And, you know, this is we're you know, circling. I'm circling back a bit, but it's like mm-hmm. humans matter. Right? I, I yes. mean, maybe, yes. you know, maybe the whole thing can be brought down to a level, Rob, of like when you talk about these disruptors and everybody wants to talk about convenience and and they want to talk about speed and efficiency and all that stuff. But at the end of the day, we just want to make a connection with somebody, you know? Yeah. And no matter the internet is great and it it's it's great for making things more transparent and efficient for some things, but when it gets down to it, when you're going to get down to the nitty-gritty as I said before, and you want to actually transact, yeah. You want to have a connection with somebody. And that yeah. that could be the whole, you know, it, it's not that it's like is this, you know, the best way of doing it, or is this is this just the inertia of this? It just comes back down to that simple fact, yeah. Right, unless yeah. you have, you know, those kind of humans, unless any you know human to human interaction is in there, it's not going to matter. Maybe it's that, Rob. That that's what I'm saying. So when I talk about like real estate being perfected, there's something in our human nature, and I agree with you. I think there's something about you're you're spending an enormous amount of money. Right, where as human beings we just have this need to have somebody approve of that. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like we don't want to go yeah. and spend half a million dollars, you know, like without asking anybody. You know, it's just like it's just hard for us as human beings. Like huge, major, important life decisions. Yeah, yeah. You want somebody else to say yes, you should do that. Right. Yeah, two things. Two things that reminds me of, and I think we've talked about both these on the podcast before. Yeah. But number one is, there was this whole big thing about like when you know you were you were around for this when they the millennials are coming, the millennials are coming, right? And they're yeah. they're digitally native, internet yeah. native, and they're not gonna you know they're gonna they're gonna they don't want to work with agents that you know they can do everything online. They want that kind of thing, right? Right. But at the end of the day, what happened was the use of agents, according to NAR, went up. It was like in the that's right. Know, mid to high 80s to the, and then went to the low 90s. And then what people began to realize is that, well, millennials are the ones that, you know, they have good relationships with their parents, right. helicopter parents, right? So right. they wanted somebody in the end to hold their hand and say, you know what? Everything's going to be okay. We got right. you here, right? So that, right. that, so that kind of like flipped the thing on, on this thing of like, oh, they're, you know, they're native. So they want, they're digital natives. So they're not going to, they're going to not, not going to want that, right? So um, I can't remember what I was going to say for the second thing. That absolutely I, I makes a lot of saying. sense. Yeah, no, but you know what? Like, I think there's something to that, right? Now, I do want to point out something where my car purchase experience was so dramatically different than you know anything in real estate, which is you're right. I may not remember Trent's name in three months. I am going to remember the dealership's name. Mm. Oh, okay. That's brilliant. Okay. Ken Garf. Right. Well, that's, yeah. <laughs> For Lincoln up in uh, uh, St. George, Utah, right? Yeah. Because one of, and this is something that you and I have talked about. It's something I've been writing about for years and years. Because Trent, even though he's on commission, he's an employee of Ken Garf. So he shows up wearing a uniform. He shows up with a name tag. Uh, you know, he has a certain process he has to follow. He has a manager that he reports to. Do you know what I mean? Right. And Ken Garf did a great job. 
I'll, I'll say, you know, hey, if you're listening, if you, you know, I know I need to go write up their their five star review or whatever the hell, but they did a really great job. And you you go to the the location and you see the the giant building, you see the humongous lot, you see all the inventory that they have. You don't think that much about Trent, the salesperson. You think a whole lot about Ken Garf, the dealership, which is exactly the opposite, I think, in real estate. Yeah. Right. In real estate, you could have a wonderful experience with a Trent, with an agent, but you know you don't remember the brokerage. You don't care what the broker is. Right. You know, right. Agents jump ship all the time, and you know they take all their clients with them and stuff like that. It's just that I think is the the biggest difference between car, yeah, yeah. the auto industry, and real estate. So, so unpack that, Rob. Why? Yeah. Why? What do you mean? Why? Why do you think that's the 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 opposite? Because. I because guess, real estate agents are not employees. You know, brokers and managers right. can't tell them what to do. Right. right. Could you imagine a real estate broker saying, you are going to wear this polo shirt when you meet with a client with your name on it? Right. Right. But that's every car dealership, right? right. At, at least every good one, you know? Uh, you know, if you roll up to Jim Bob's used car, you know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> then who knows what you're going to get. But, you know, I'm talking about like legitimate dealerships. You know, you walk into any legitimate dealership these days, you know, the salespeople are going to be wearing the same color T-shirts, you know, or whatever, right? With a name tag and make a real clear eye work here. And there are different qualities, obviously, because, you know, Trent happened to be very good. But I'm sure there are some, you know, salespeople at that dealership who aren't very good, who are kind of scumbags or whatever, but they get weeded out. You know, yeah, as a so, consumer- so- Right. If I had a problem with Trent, I could go to his manager and be like, what the hell? You know, this guy. And I feel like the manager would do something about it. Right. Real estate so let me, just don't have that. Yeah. Let me let me let me go a little bit wacky here, right? Because yeah. this so I was gonna I was gonna say, what if you were you were gonna start a company and the disruption was gonna be you, you realize you, you said, you know, like almost thinking this kind of first principles kind of thought, right? Okay. Mm-hmm. And that first principles that we've kind of unearthed here is that people want a human experience. Yes. Right. So no you start from the beginning of like, okay, forget the best website, forget anything else. People want to work with people, right? Mm-hmm. And that's a disruption where you try to get the best quality people that you can. Mm-hmm. Is that compass? I mean, is that isn't that kind of a little bit what what Refkin <sighs> has kind of question. said? Where where they you know they they they're they're all about the agent. They're all about yeah, the agent. Yeah. I mean, there, there's there's also this kind of mumbo jumbo of the best technology. Yeah, yeah. But it's but but really at the base level, they've always been about you know his customer is really the agent. Yeah, I right. Is that, is that, is that a question? That, if I think about it, I don't think it's compass. Because long before, well, is it, but but isn't that what they're extolling though? Right? I mean, or would you at yeah, least give me that? No, it's not. So this is this is what I'm getting at, right? Because if you think about a much larger, much older brand that's had the same premise, is Remax, right? right? No, Remax could always point. been like we have the best agents. But to me, when you when you put it that way, I think you're onto something. The real disruptor then, the the companies that are doing exactly what I just that providing that dealership experience, providing that. We are going to get the best people and give you, the customer, the best possible experience. And we're going to own it and start with that human factor, right? Forget the technology. Mm-hmm. It's all about yeah. the human factor. It's agent teams. Right. Right? Because the agent team, that team owner is like, my name is on this sign. 
and these these agents all work for me, right? Even though, yeah, you know, legally, blah blah blah. Okay, well, that's a lawsuit away. But fact is, like the agent teams actually, I think, are the ones that are doing that. That are saying these are my clients, they're my customers. I'm going to give them the best possible experience. I'm going to go recruit agents. I'm going to train the hell out of them. They're going to behave in the way I want them to behave, or they're out the door. I think it might be onto something, and that that might explain why well, teams are so dominant. What I thought you were going to say, because of this consistency and this experience, yeah, I thought you were going to say Redfin. Yeah, so that's interesting. Like, you would think it would be Redfin, and Redfin has, you know, yeah, you're right. I mean, Redfin will be one. I suppose Open Door will be another. The weird well, thing. I, I, I don't know how Open Door fits into that, really. But well, Open Doors I mean, are broken they, now, and they're but but they're, but they're they're so antithetical of a human thing. It's like you go on their site, you put your address in, you answer ten questions, yeah. and then you're given an offer. That is not a people first experience. <laughs> well, you could say the same right? about Redfin, right? You go on the website, you request a tour, and a somebody gets a hold of you. No, I mean, what I mean is Open yeah, Door. Yeah, you know, that's way. That's those. Those are. Miles I, apart. To yeah. me, Open Door is, is they're just trying to be Redfin 2.0 now, right? I mean, whatever their business model was before, you look at all their changes, their pivots, and so on. It's, well, they're not they're, hiring they're, agent as employees. I mean, I, I don't yeah, see that. So they're an agent team, you know, with W2 agents. There are lots of agent teams and small teamerages, right? So brokerages that are effectively agent teams that operate exactly the same way. So it's just Open Door has a bigger website. They have some venture money, but fundamentally, from a business model standpoint, I feel like those guys are now just a pretty decent sized agent team. Which is the same thing that I've always said about Redfin. Redfin's not a brokerage. Redfin's an agent team. Um, so yeah, I guess I guess you're right. I would have to say that Redfin, you know, and some of these W two Rex would be another example. Mm-hmm. You know, these guys are taking that approach, but. I think the difference is Redfin, uh, Rex, Open Door, all of these companies started out with a premise of technology. They started out with a premise of we well, have that got that the got them the money, right? That got them the money. <laughs> that got them the money, right? Yeah. But to your point, the true disruption might be companies that are starting out with hell with technology. We're about the people, right? Right. And then layer the technology on after. Maybe that's the, the true disruptor. And I, I, I think I can make that case because the most disruptive thing we've seen in the last 10, 10 years, 15 years, has not been Zillow. It's not been Redfin. It's not been iBuyers. It's been agent teams, right? And, and the great thing about that is, and I think this is something that a lot of companies you know, out there extol, is that there's nothing precluding a bootstrap entrepreneur from making that happen. That's right. You don't, you don't need millions or billions of dollars to make that happen. That's right. Right? And you know, you see you see, you know, uh, examples of these things in these kind of smaller boutique real estate um, companies that keep, you know, popping up, right? There's mm-hmm. they, they still keep thriving, right? Yeah. So yeah, that's it's very interesting to kind of think of it that way. Yeah. Um, but you know, so, it's hmm. you know, one one thing is like and the leveraging of the humans of of this whole kind of technology shift it really boggles my mind because all these companies talk about how important technology is and they've got these you know data scientists and these mm-hmm. economists and and these tech people and everything else but like take for instance zillow so zillow's was basically made famous by the zestimate right, right? by adding some layer of transparency to the whole thing right right now 
people talked about this, but I don't think they really got the context of what actually happened in 2019 when they made their algorithm change, right? Mm -hmm. um, because if you remember, they had this estimate, they, they tried to improve it all the time, right? And then they had this kind of like, uh, I don't know what you would call this big contest, right? Where they, yeah. they you know, they, all these teams came together yeah. and I think it was based upon like the Netflix kind of thing where yeah, you the had this- dollar uh, challenge, yeah. Yeah, the million dollar challenge. Like if you can improve our algorithm by, you know, 1% or whatever, and then two teams got together, and I guess they gave some award to somebody, right? Yeah. But here's what happened in 2019 is they changed the algorithm where they split it. And they have one Zestimate for off-market listings mm -hmm. and one Zestimate for on-market listings. Now, previously, they had one, and that one Zestimate never really considered the factor of the list price into it. Right. Right? It was their own math. Okay. Right. Since they've split that, <laughs> this is – and it's just so fucking shameless in a way if you think about it, right? Okay. Is that now, basically, for the Zestimate that's on the on-market listing, guess <laughs> – Guess who's 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 really making this estimate for off on market listings? Who? The agent. Well, the listing agent. Kinda. Yeah. What do you mean, kinda? Well, so here's the thing, man. Like, I run and operate a CMA company, right? No, so no I get I've it. I've seen these changes where it's like, wow, these estimates are just they're getting really accurate now, right? I mean, what you know, they're getting a lot, you know, better in a lot of places, yeah. right? And yeah. it's because. Now you see these charts, it's like, oh, yeah, well, then now they factor in the list price, which the agent came up with. So it's not, it's not even a factor of like, they've got all this cool technology and these quants and these economists and everything else. You know what they've done? They've just gone back to <laughs> what we've been talking about, right? <laughs> so oh, the agents will solve our technology problems also, right? I don't need yeah. this. I don't need this room of you know data scientists. I, I've got the agent working for now. Now the agent is is, is making my assessments for me. Yeah, I guess. I mean, the the, all, all, the only thing I'll say to that is, look, this has been one of the things that Redfin's been touting for years over. His, no, over they the they middle, always they right? always factored in the 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 the, yeah. the, the list it's, price, right? Yeah. So yeah. all the studies that but, Redfin but they could because, because they are a brokerage. Yeah, they're yeah. a participant, you know, and. Yeah. So, you know, I think if Zillow said, okay, well, we're just going to start doing what Redfin's doing because, you know, this team came up with whatever and said, hey, if you take list price into consideration, then your algorithm could be much more accurate. <laughs> right? Shocking. Shocking. To me, like, and, you know, I think the issue there is I just want to contextualize a little bit. I mean, I'm not disagreeing. Of course, the agent, you know, together with the seller and whatever, come up with a list price, right? My point is, like, the agent didn't do that in order to make that estimate more accurate. The agent did yeah. that because his job is to sell the freaking house. No, totally. So, but, you know, when, for, when, but when my context it. is how we start this conversation, how yeah. all these disruptors at the end of the day run back to mama, right? Right. They run back to like using agents. And I'm just, I'm saying that, you know, you're talking about, well, they're going to have to factor in agents because they want a human connection. And this is an example, well, their tech isn't that great. So they're going to use agents for that as well. <laughs> right? It's just a, it's a deeper level of- okay. All right. All right. I'm buying it. All right. I'm buying it. You know, the, the, the bizarre thing though is this, right? It, because this is where real estate gets so complicated is how did the agent come up with that list price? Well, they hopefully they had a good CMA program. They probably cloud CMA, right? <laughs> where did cloud well, CMA it's... get its data? From, you know, 10 years of historicals plus, you know, all the listings and the comparables, like all of that, right? Well, don't don't get started on Zillow would never have a business model unless the agents, the MLS 
providers, organizations actually aggregate that at data, right? So that's another that's another level of like, of course. Yeah. Of course. And again, going back to the car industry, you could say the exact same thing about Kelly Blue Book, about True Car, about you know, car fact, you could say the same thing about all of these, all of, all of those guys. You know? I think everywhere, you know, as, as we're talking about, everywhere you look, it's not just like that human connection, but that human knowledge, that mm-hmm. human everything. Yeah. And, 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 and a lot of these things need to happen. Yeah. So, yeah, I think disruption. So I think well, maybe the way we got to think about this, what do, what do we mean by disruption, right? We're talking about fundamentally change the way we do things. With cars, you know, the, the companies that are out there so far have not fundamentally changed the way we do things. With houses, I think, you know, with the open door offer pad, you know, knock all kind of, you know, going back to the traditional, you know, it feels like maybe there's an argument to be made that we are not going to fundamentally change the way we do things. Having said that, Zillow is actually trying to fundamentally change the way we do things. I'm not sure if they're going to be successful. I I think they will be, but that's very much dependent on what happens going forward, right? Having said all of that, you're right. We what we can't disrupt, what I don't think is disruptable is human nature. And if human nature says we want a human connection when we're making a big important purchase, we want somebody, even if somebody that is paid by the seller to give us permission to spend that money, maybe that can't be disrupted. So whether it's real estate agents or you know the car dealer, you know uh, the salesperson, we need somebody as human beings to say it's okay for you to go to you know hundred thousand dollars into debt to buy this thing. It's a smart decision. Like we need, like we just have this need for that approval. That can't be disrupted, right? That's yeah. human nature. You know that, yeah. that that can't be disrupted any more than eating food can be disrupted, right? <laughs> like. There's no disruption there. We're going to eat food. We have to, right? So maybe it's something like that. So here, here's the bull case for Zillow, though, because if you look at it, I mean, these guys are so fucking smart, right? Because yeah. they've really identified, number one, with the way that they do their iBuyer thing, mm-hmm. there's always a human involved. That's right. Right? So they have, you know, an offer comes in, an agent creates a CMA. Yep. They also have their kind of their estimate of what it is. And now there's a relationship with a human and they ask the, the you know, they ask the potential seller, what do you want to choose today? Right. Mm-hmm. Overwhelmingly they go to the agent, right? But still it's a great way of generating seller leads and that feeds into their business model of just monetizing that exhaust. Mm-hmm. Number two, right, is that, you know, when we go back to like a model based on the best agents, they have completely over the past couple of years now. And, and this has been a long going process. They used to like ha- have anybody come enter the program. You want to buy right. ads from us? Give me your money. That's they right. They call that down to super agents and teams, That's right. right? They're even fully, even more, you know, pushing through the funnel where you, to be a premier agent, That's right? right. You've got to get these ratings and you have to pass these tests where they're That's calling right. and calling and calling even more to find those agents, to find those agents' teams that, w- that are good. So you have a combination of, a human reaction with the best agents and they're they're you know that's right they have a plan to do that i mean that's right you know it really to me makes zillow just really so hard to beat uh, i because agree they've yeah. been so methodical about that i agree completely and uh guys there's so many i could talk so much i could talk about <laughs> that i can't because of my past you know uh work but let's put it this way to me 
this might be a topic for a future industry relations uh, thing that you and I should do because it just occurred mm-hmm. to me. In the course of this research I've been doing over the last few months, I, I actually have multiple top agents say something along these lines. I don't like Zillow, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. They're just trying to take money out of my pocket, but I'm a premier agent because I have to be because I don't want my competitors using that against me. Right. Think about that. So the question is, like, Zillow's gotten to a point because they've been working and focusing, like you said, on the, the best of the best, because they've branded themselves, because, because all the things, you know, like all the things that's been doing the last 10 years, we now have people, agents who are not fans, nonetheless paying Zillow simply to have the premier agent badge. Because if they don't have it, they're at a competitive disadvantage in their yeah. local marketplace. Yep. Dude, NAR wishes the realtor brand had that power. Right? Yeah. I mean, Any brokerage out there wishes they had, their brand was that meaningful. Right. right? Zillow's there. Uh, they're, they're getting there. And it goes hand in hand with the true disruption that's been going on in an industry the last 10 years, which is the development of these super agent teams. And yeah, which, which, that's they the target, which they totally target, right? That's right. Absolutely. Maybe that's the formula. Yeah. You know, the other thing that occurs to me is what Zillow is doing, the market uh, maker model of iBuyer that they're pursuing, and they're the only ones left now doing it. When you think about it, that allows Zillow to be more like a used car dealer because they own the inventory. Whereas everybody else, it's not your inventory. You don't get to say, you know, you don't get to decide. You don't get to make the decision. You don't get to price it. You don't get to really negotiate it because it's ultimately the seller's property. Unless you're Zillow, and then you have these agents, yeah, okay, they're all you know clients and partners or whatever. They're not actually employees of yours working for you. But in a real sense, it's Zillow's inventory on their lot. And if I, as a buyer, want to buy that truck, I've got to go talk to Zillow. Right. right? I have to negotiate with Zillow through a, you know an agent, and my agent can go do my battle for me, blah, blah, blah. It's an interesting dynamic, right? And we'll see how it plays out. The thing that occurs to me is because, and this is why I wrote what I did. So going all the way back to how we started, mm-hmm. I still kind of feel like real estate is not perfected. I still feel like disruption is possible. And I do think that you know, Zillow is probably one of the foremost companies that are, that's going to make that happen. But if you're going to change something like real estate or something like the auto industry, something that's not, you know, we're not talking like internet and we're not talking food delivery. We're talking, you know, decades, hundreds of years old, right? You got to have a shit ton of money. Yeah, <laughs> if you don't totally. have that, then don't even play. Yeah. So if you're a startup coming into real estate, because, you know, you and I have seen startups come and go. You and I have seen, you know, flashes in the pan. We've seen it all. It feels to me like... This is not a game you can play. This is not an industry you can play in as a startup unless you can go raise billions and unless you can go public, unless you can really you know, have the, the staying power, right? So maybe yeah. from an investor standpoint, if I'm a venture capital investor, I have to look at real estate startups and really determine, okay, if these guys are going to be truly disruptive, I don't uh, say it's an um, auction startup. You know, somebody says, hey, you know what? The best w- way to buy and sell houses really ought to be through auctions. Fine. That was Zillow's original business model, right? As an investor, you have to look at that and decide, all right, am I willing to back this for the next 20 years, 
right? Right. Tune of five to ten billion dollars. Because if I'm not, you know, chances are they're not going to make it. Chances are they'll do. They'll go to the five stages of grief, right? Like you said, they'll come in. Where auctions going to be the way? And then anger. Why is nobody doing auctions? And then bargaining. And then eventually, like, hey, we're going to work with agents and create an auction platform for them. You know? <laughs> I mean, I think that's just the way it's going to be. Um, so I don't know. It's it's an interesting way of thinking about, way of looking at it. No, I, I like I like where we ended up here. I like yeah, I like yeah. the kind of the, the pulling that thread and then coming here. Yeah. So, so you um, know, it would be interesting. I, I'd be interested to hear from our listeners. You know, because obviously our listeners are mostly, if not all, right, in the real estate industry. Let's ask the question that you and I asked ourselves, which is, do you think that the way that we buy and sell cars has been perfected? And if you think it has been, tell us why. And if you think it hasn't been, tell us what can change. And then let's apply that to real estate. Like, I think what we've agreed is that the human connection, the human factor is not disruptable. There's something deep in all of us that says, you're going to make this giant investment, you need some other human being to give you permission to do that, right? Fine. Laying that aside, is the way that we go about things today in real estate, has that been perfected? I'd be really sure from our listeners on that. So um, one thing I want to kind of just also comment in the end, this a little bit, this is a little bit um, related we can end with this, right? Because yeah. I know we're running a lot long, but here, but uh, you would put in a Facebook post, Tom Ferry did a study, and yeah. this is what the study said. Of the top 1% of all real estate agents, yeah. so the cream of the crop, right? The top yeah. 1% of income earners, gross commission only, 90% of them are living paycheck to paycheck. Yeah. Cannot go two months without maintaining that income level. Yeah. And that to me is just shocking, right? But yeah. And just to clarify that this is like agents, right? This isn't like yeah. a company, yeah. but like, you know, these high flying agents are, are basically living or not all of them, but yeah. 1% of the top income turners, 90% of them, 90% of them are living paycheck to paycheck. That seems crazy. Yeah. And so a couple of things. Number one, understand that is complete hearsay, right? Like I didn't do the research. I didn't talk to Tom right. Ferry. I spoke to an agent who cited this Tom Ferry study. Uh, okay, so okay. we might want Tom Ferry to come on and tell us you know, like what, what the actual study showed. Having said that, what's interesting is I post that and it's not like there's a whole bunch of agents disagreeing. It's like, oh, you're crazy. What are you talking about? Agents, you know, no, they're all like, of course. <laughs> they're all yeah. like, of course it is. It sounds now, about right. Yeah. I'm different. I've learned my lesson. But the other, you know, agents that, that they know that they see in their local marketplace, yeah, they're all like, yeah, they're all they're all like this. It is an interesting thing. I, and again, I don't know how this connects to the overall thesis of what we're talking about. Maybe that's something that uh, we should do a future show on. Like, wouldn't it be cool to like bring on like a financial planner of some kind who works with real estate agents, you know? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Whips them into shape. But there is that element of... Real estate agents, and this was something that one of the people on the Facebook thread literally said that they sometimes act like sports stars, you know, where they've made a huge amount of money, so they're going to go and spend it all. <laughs> right. <laughs> all of a sudden, they're broke. Yeah. yeah, they get that signing bonus, right? Yeah, and yeah. Then and they're like, they spend that, and it's like, oh, I didn't get the contract renewed, right? And they got to yeah, be yeah. back into it. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe there's something, there, maybe that's an interesting well, angle. Like, what is the psychology of a top agent? 
I uh, mean, but again, it's not everybody, right? There are some yeah. top agents who are really but, but smart. If you look at it on a holistic basis, maybe if you're talking about just as a cohort of people that are in commission only sales job, yeah, <laughs> right, yeah, I bet you that cohort, a lot of that cohort is living paycheck to paycheck because oh, there's it's just no doubt. nature. So, there's so no having doubt. say whether it's the top performers or the middle performers, it's all pretty much the same. It shouldn't be that shocking. It's yeah. it's not shocking at all, and you know, yeah. like I've actually worked in commission sales, you know, early in my life doing high fashion, right? I worked at Burger yeah. Goodman, and I got to tell you, it's the same mentality. Like when you're a good salesperson, you just have this unshakable confidence. Oh yeah, like, yeah. I, oh you know, oh okay, I'm running low on money, no big deal. I'll just go, you know, uh, sell another three. Right? I mean, that's that's how they, how they think, and that's how you have to think, because if you yeah. lose confidence, you can't sell. Yeah, it's like what was it? It's a famous thing. I it was always like as a sales manager, you yeah. wanted to see your sales guys buy a fancy car, not a fancy watch, because yeah. <laughs> the car is a longer commitment, and they're going to have to keep going. They could have bought that watch with one commission check, right? Yeah. And then they're like spent, right? So yeah. <laughs> you want to have something hanging over their head. That's great. Well, this right, was man. a great conversation, man. Indeed, it was. It was one of our more uh, more models. Let, let's pick a topic next time where we could argue and go at it. All right. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So uh, any final parting thoughts for our listeners? I think from my standpoint, I mean, I just, you know, as I said last podcast, I just completed a book. And one of the premises of the book is like, there's this kind of war going on between robots, you know, algorithms and and human beings. And, Mm -hmm. you know, being a human being matters. I think that's still a... uh, valid thing in, in this business especially. So this kind of teases out that as, as some of the thoughts that I've had in my head about it. So I'm I'm pleased. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Um, and I think if there's one thing I've arrived at through this conversation, it's, it's what we said. Human nature is not disruptable. And there's right. something in human beings where we need permission from another human being. Now, we could delve into that a little bit more because we didn't, we don't have the time to really get into it because I think it's not that we need permission from just any old Yahoo. We need permission from people that yeah. we sort of acknowledge to be expert. Hey, man, it was great chatting with you. Um, want to thank all of our listeners because without you guys, we wouldn't be doing this. And you give us the opportunity to do this. Yeah. And I, I'm going to make, you know, try to make the commitment of, uh, I've just been hearing from a lot. We got to be more consistent on these. So I know. maybe after our call, we'll put some dates in here to do this but um yeah don't forget to go to you know to itunes and and write a review give us a big five-star rating that that always helps and yeah and we appreciate you guys thank you all right thanks everybody have a good one